and Raising Rare, we are bringing you the story of a young father whose son has an ultra-rare disorder known as Sedegatian type spondial metaphysial dysplasia, or SSMD. My name is Kevin Fryert. Each episode, we will find out what is going on in the life of Sanath and his son, Raghav. We will talk about Raghav's growth and development, ongoing and upcoming research, and the challenges and adventures that raising a child with a nearly unknown condition brings. Come join us to hear the story unfold. Welcome back to Raising Rare. Today, Sonneth and I are going to discuss a recent scare they had with little Raghav. I always ask how Raghav is doing, and Sonneth typically responds that he's stable and growing. And this is always great news to hear. But it can't be taken for granted. A few weeks ago, Sonneth and Rami were given a sharp reminder of this reality. Sonneth, can you tell us what happened? A few weeks ago, everything was fine. Uh, Ramya was complaining that life was too boring and too monotonous. You know, it, this was actually uh, a couple of days before the Memorial Day weekend. And we were thinking of taking a, a small day trip for the Memorial Day weekend. Uh, and everything was fine, you know, as usual. Raga showed some signs of um, congestion in his nose. He had uh, some runny nose and then that that turned into a little bit of congestion. So we did we did know you know he was maybe coming down on something, but it's hard to tell because he gets congested even after a small vomit, and uh, that could that could usually last for last for several hours. Um, so it was it was really hard to tell for us. We we let the day pass. He was fine. Um, you know, as a precaution, we generally make sure he doesn't take a bath uh, on the day when when his nose is congested. I, I don't still subscribe to that correlation between bath and cold, but that's what we did. Um, and the next morning, I, I remember he was a little bit more congested. Um, he was a lot more tired for sure. And so my parents took him for a nap uh, a little early that day. Um, he had a pretty sound nap, uh, which is good. I think he slept for two and a half, three hours. I, I was sitting in my office room and I heard a loud sound, a uh, cry from outside. Um, and this was Raghav just screaming his heart out. Uh, and it would go nonstop for 15 minutes. And so I stepped out, Ramya stepped out. We started looking at what was going on. Raghav kept crying, uh, just unconsolably crying. Yeah, he, was, he was very clearly stuffy in his, in his nose. And um, he also had uh, what we call the radio sound coming through his throat which is the sound that that you get when you have something stuck in your throat like um something that you want to cough it out uh but he just couldn't cough it out um so he would keep trying to cough uh he would almost get to the end of the cough but he wouldn't complete it and so nothing would come out of his throat we we have a suction machine and everything and we suctioned his nose we tried everything possible uh that we can to console him you know we took uh, we, we we picked him up and went around the house for a walk. And about, I would say about 45 minutes, he was still unconsolable. He was still crying. And he was just exhausted from the crying. Um, so those were the first symptoms that got us very worried about what was going on. So the radio noise, it's like kind of a... 
like a staticky noise. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Exactly. And that's concerning because he doesn't have the muscle tone to generate a cough that would, you know, typically we would cough something up and and be done with the congestion for a couple minutes at least, but he couldn't get the relief. Exactly. And he he does have the muscle tone for coughing on a normal day. Um, it's it's when something is is stuck in his throat a little harder uh, than usual that he struggles to cough. And even then we could, you know, reposition him and he would cough and he'd be fine. Uh, but in this particular instance, he couldn't cough. Uh, and that was weird to us. That was somewhat less than a day from when you first noticed him being de- being congested to, gee, we're, we're really getting concerned. Um, so what made you decide to go to the emergency department? This 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 whole crying happened for about forty five minutes, I would say, um, and after that, after he got a little uh, calmer, we noticed that he was gasping for breath, and he was he was he was doing what is called a um, workup breathing, um, and a workup breathing essentially is when you're when you're trying to breathe very hard, and you can see the the bottom of your throat goes in and out. Um, your 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 stomach is now working harder to breathe. Your your lungs are not working as well, and so the other muscles in your body would start compensating for that and start breathing. So we could very clearly see symptoms of worker breathing in him. Uh, we also noticed that he was doing this a lot. So you you could you could very clearly see that um, sound in from his throat coming every time he breathes, inhales and exhales. Right. Uh, that never happens um, unless he's trying to keep his mouth open for a very particular reason. Um, so all of these symptoms were concerning, but we we started thinking about last March, so 2020 of March. Raghav ended up in the hospital right before COVID hit. And at that point, he had workup breathing. He had um, this really tired face where he couldn't cough. And so the symptoms for us were too similar to dismiss. We decided at that point that we'll take him to the emergency room uh, that night if he still doesn't get better. And in another 10 minutes, we felt like we had to run to the emergency room right away. And so with Raghav, things were fine that afternoon. Um, it got a little bit worse after the nap. In 45 minutes, it got a lot worse. And in the 10 minutes after that, it got very worse to a point where we absolutely have to take him to the ED. We thought he just needed an extra oxygen support for a short duration or some deep suctioning to get it, get the stuff out of his nose and throat. Um, and so we, we put him in a car, went to the Stanford emergency department for the very first time, you know, with, with, with parents with rare disease conditions um, of kids with rare disease conditions, always uh, understand the ins and outs of navigating the emergency department. Uh, you know where the Starbucks in the in the in the in the hospital is. You know where the cafeteria is. We went to the ED and they started questioning us. Uh, the security started asking us weird questions and started searching the bag for uh, whatnot. And I was I was there carrying Raghav in my hand. He's having difficulty breathing, and I'm st- standing there answering questions to a security. <laughs> I was pissed. I was mad. I can imagine. Um, I understand security has a job to do, but you can do that while someone's, you know, going through all the things you need to do in order to enter the emergency room, right? You could walk along with someone 
when their kid's in distress. It also makes you makes you say, maybe you just call the ambulance, right? Because they get to go right in. We we actually thought yeah we were just talking about that while the security was searching because this is ridiculous. And after the security, we hit the um, front desk and they asked us, "Oh, is your address still the same? Is your insurance still the same?" Are you kidding me? My son is having trouble breathing and you're asking me insurance questions. They actually asked me my home address just to confirm. And I, I, I couldn't remember what my home address was. I, I didn't even remember the first few digits of uh, the house number because it was such a sexual situation. And in, and in that part of the world, house numbers are like five or six digits long. It's not like 22. It's, you know, 7539024. It's a random, random assortment of numbers. That's absolutely right. Um, I, I mean, everything, everything is, is in my head just like it happened yesterday. So I can, I can tell you minute by minute what happened. But once we got into the emergency room and we got uh, a nurse came to, uh, to triage us, I, I, was, I was in my familiar territory. I knew the keywords I should say to get him to the fastest possible uh, treatment uh, the earliest because they started weighing him. Uh, the nurse wanted to weigh him without a diaper just, just to get the most accurate weight in case a prescription was written. I'm like, my son is having breathing difficulty. He, was, he, was, um, he had to have oxygen support and high flow and all that stuff last time when he was in the ED. And so we really need to get him to uh, a room first. Uh, and that, that got the ball rolling fast and we got the doctors coming in. Um, they checked his oxygen. They gave him what's called high flow, which is uh, a fast oxygen plus um, a fast flow of oxygen plus air. And it's, it's humid as well. It's warm. So it's supposed to push stuff out of your nose. Uh, and the moment they put the high flow on him, I could see stuff coming out of his mouth because it, everything that was congested in his nose it was pushed out by the air and started coming out of his mouth. Uh, for the next hour and a half in the ED, um, I thought he was amazing. He was normal because he was watching his TV. He was super happy, no coughing, nothing. We were just watching him. His oxygen sets were, were, were perfect. Um, so I was just texting Ramya, who couldn't come in because of COVID restrictions, that we will be back in another half hour. And the doctors came in, they reduced the oxygen support and the high flow, and suddenly all of his symptoms came back again right away. So he was crying, he was trying to get stuff out of his throat, his oxygen sats went down substantially, and that's when we realized this is going to be much longer than what we thought it was. And the result of the root cause of the problem was also uh, given to us at that point. Um, it, was a, it was something called a rhinovirus. RSVs and rhinoviruses are the common cause of common cold for a lot of kids. And so Raghav got cold and uh, ended up in a situation where we think we, at that point, we thought he had to be in the hospital for the next couple of days. As you said, you knew the lay of the land at your old hospital. You come into a new emergency department, you don't know everything there. They don't know you. There's, there's like no record there, right? It's not, even if you were in the same health system, which I believe you are, they're probably looking at things that they can't get to that record as quickly as they could if it was at their own ED. So you're caused to wait there. You're caused to answer questions that are there. 
you're caused to go through watching them do the status quo or standard procedures of, well, we're going to weigh him, we're going to take his temperature, we're going to do all those things. When you know, no, we need to get him O2. He needs oxygen now. Um, especially if, if you guys were like, oh, well, we'll wait and see what happens tonight. And then 10 minutes later, you made the decision to go. Um, that's an urgency that I, I don't know how you, how you communicate that to someone to say, you know, this person's rapidly changing. Yeah, and it's it it. Uh, I think the what what helps there is is just learning some medical jargon. Uh, so you know, if you speak like them, they think you're one of them, <laughs> right? And the jargon here is his sats are low. He his sats are going below below 80, 80, 85 uh, and not coming up. Um, he was on high flow cannula uh, and escalated very quickly uh, to BiPAP last time, and but and, and we considered even intubating him last time. Um, and that like intuition is a sign that uh, something is terribly wrong, and everybody, everybody didn't add, reacted as appropriately that I, that I, as I wanted. And I told them, hey, we'd never intubated him last time, but he was very close to getting to that point. And people, people knew what was going on. People knew the severity of it right away. No one asked me any bullshit questions from that point on. Well, it's very interesting that you know COVID when you were out there last March, you know, or when you're at the emergency department last March, COVID was just cranking up in Seattle where you lived. And probably everybody was, was really, you know, oh, let's intubate, right? And because they were doing that a lot and then they're realizing intubation isn't always the best thing to do um, right away. And now you come back a year later, COVID's passed through and there's a lot more experience there the fact that you said that probably woke them up a little, you know, like, oh, this, this isn't COVID, but it was that close last time. And you said it was a rhinovirus. And then I think you said RSV, but that's a respiratory syncytial virus. That's different. And that's, um, for a kid his age, it's, it's quite serious. Interesting. I, I don't know the difference. I, I thought rhinovirus and RSVs were the same, uh, but it was rhinovirus for sure. Yeah, which is the common cold. Yeah, it's the common cold. And uh, turns out turns out when he has the common cold, he doesn't have the strength to to push it through um to to the end. And so what happened after that uh, was we decided he needs to be um in the hospital for the night. Um uh, we decided to give him some oxygen and watch him through the night. And um we got him to the hospital floor. Or actually, the ICU, the, the the PICU, pediatric intensive care unit, and this was about midnight when they got him to the ICU, and so they started hooking him up to the, all the monitors, and they said they decided, okay, let's just give him plain oxygen. He doesn't need high flow. He seems to be doing fine. He was sleeping, and he was in that high flow. Uh, he was in the plain oxygen for a few hours, um, and they came in. They came in to check his blood pressure and stuff, and suddenly he started coughing and got more stuff choked in his throat and his sats dropped substantially. So we went from just watching him overnight to potentially staying in the hospital for maybe a week within a matter of minutes. And so we went from just like a, a plain old oxygen to high flow to BiPAP within minutes because he just couldn't keep up with 
with uh, what was going on. He couldn't keep up with the secretions. Um, and that next morning, uh, he continued to have the sensation of coughing, but he couldn't cough. And so he would get stuff in his throat that stuck and he would be mad because he couldn't get it, uh, get it out. So he would cry nonstop for, for 30 minutes or an hour and nothing would console him at all. And because he was so crying, he was just exhausted, but he would continue to cry being exhausted. Uh, this was the first time we actually saw him cry this much because since birth, he was never a kid that would cry a lot. He would get mad and then he would console himself very quickly. And this time, it was more painful because he was able to see our faces. He was able to recognize us. And it was as if he was asking us the question, why did you bring me here? I was happy at home. Why, why did you have to, why, where do I have to be here? Why do you have to torture me with all of these devices in my face and my leg and people poking me left and right and center? It's very interesting to, to try to think, what is a, a little kid thinking? But you've got this stark comparison between a year ago and now. And a year ago, he was a tiny little guy. Yeah, kids cry. They're uncomfortable in the hospital, but it's not like they're taking it personally. They're just, that's the only way they have to voice themselves. Now you can tell he's, he's annoyed at this and probably scared um, because it, it just, he's, he's understanding more of it as it goes along. Yeah, it uh, was not fun. Uh, there were several instances through uh, the, the first 12 hours of going to the ED and the hospital that was made it very clear that he understood everything going on around him. They were trying to get an IV on him. Getting an IV, uh, getting the right vein is always a challenge. It has been a challenge since birth. He has several marks. Every, everywhere where he, he got an IV, he has a mark in his body. And I could count the marks in my, with both of my hands. Um, and um, this time, they tried to get an IV with an ultrasound for which he had to be really still. So um, it, he cried nonstop for about 30 minutes and then nearly passed out crying um, because they, they couldn't get the IV. They were holding his hands down. Uh, he, we couldn't pick him up and move him around. They were trying to poke him multiple places, trying to find the vein, and it didn't work. And so the, 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 this whole episode um, of being in the hospital was um, one of the most traumatic episodes that we had in our lives. Um, worse than when it was after he was born. Uh, worse than when it was, um, worse than what it was last March. Uh, this was a lot more traumatic because he was talking to us without words. He was communicating to you in all the ways that he does, the looks in his eyes, the movements of his head and, and the kinds of things that you guys have now learned how to translate. It just, wow. And to feel for him, you know, that, that's the trauma to a parent is my kid is experiencing torture and I'm helping somehow in that torture. Even though, you know, in the long run, yes, we need to do this, but, but at that moment, it's just, it's painful. And I can, I 
can only imagine that trauma. And was Ramya with you yet? She was. She was. Um, so uh, fortunately, the couple of days before we got admitted, they changed the regulations that two parents can be in the ICU. Um, and so Ramya was with me through all of this. Um, previously, uh, during the incident last March, we had our parents as well with us. They could come in and, and we could swap out and, um, and take breaks here and there. Uh, but in this hospital, say they said, you know, only two parents allowed and you cannot swap out. And so we, we stayed there through the entire stay. We got, I think he was in the hospital. He ended up in the hospital for about seven days or more. I can't remember the exact count. Um, but right the, the day after uh, the ED visit, they gave him a sedating medication because he was just mad nonstop. And so for about 48 hours, he just slept straight up. He didn't wake up. He didn't, he didn't open his eyes. He didn't look at us and smile. Um, you know, we were turning him around so he doesn't get bed sores, but um, he just slept. Um, his sets were doing okay, but, you know, they were doing suctioning and everything with him, uh, but he just kept sleep, sleeping through all of this. But fortunately, two or three days after he got admitted, he woke up, he started smiling, he started showing signs of um, recognizing us, which was awesome. But he still had uh, the, the mask in his face for the BiPAP machine. He still had all of the support systems that he needed. But at that point, he was at least opening his eyes and, and doing a lot better. I, I pushed the doctors to the... To, 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 to go down in the support very quickly because he was, he seemed to be doing rapidly. He seems to be doing a lot better and his recovery felt rapid. And so we went through his support from about, in about four or five hours, we went from uh, the BiPAP machine, which is the highest level of support you can get for breathing difficulty to the lowest flow in, in the high flow, which is the second highest level of support you, or second lowest level of support you can get. He was doing just fine. Um, and we thought he's going to be completely fine. They shifted him to the floor. Um, everything was fine that night. And through the night, they started weaning his uh, oxygen down to just go to room air. And things started escalating again. He had more cough. He had a lot more secretion. He couldn't breathe better. They were doing some uh, breathing treatments at that point, like medications. But, um, you know, they, they ramped those up. Um, they had to go back up on the oxygen supply. Um, and, you know, things went from, hey, we're going to go, go home today to, oh, shit, I just hope and pray that we don't get back to the, to the ICU again. And that happened in, in a matter of a few hours. Wow. So I'm trying to think about it as that's what a cold does, right? A cold comes and goes. And in this case, it can fool you, you know, and it's like, oh, you're getting better. But then the cold comes back, you know, on kind of like a second wave. Um, and in this case, that has severe consequences. You know, you, you got to escalate back up your, your support. Yeah, we, we did. I mean, we were very disappointed. We were very concerned uh, that that was happening. Um, we, um, we didn't tell our offices that, uh, uh, that it was going to be a week. We told them, hey, it's going to be a day. and. Uh, Fortunately, it happened through the Memorial Day weekend. So we had a 
a nice little Memorial Day outing, sitting at the IC, waiting for him to open his eyes. Um, and um, we thought he'll be done. Uh, we'll be back home before uh, the Memorial Day weekend is over. Um, it turned out not that was not the case. So we had to let everybody know that hey, this is not happening. We're probably not going to be coming back uh, for the entire the entirety of the week. Um, so we took a bunch of time off. We stayed with him. We decided to get our um, get my mom in there for a few hours. So you know, both Rami and I could take a break for a few few hours. Um, and I, I I vividly remember this. I interesting interestingly through the hospital visit, I was sitting there writing an application for the Chan Zuckerberg Institute to get funds for Raghav research because they had the rarest one. Um, second cycle uh, deadline coming up soon, right after the Memorial Day weekend. So through the hospital visit, while Raga was sick, while Raga was unconscious, I was sitting there writing uh, the Radazan application. Um, and I, I remember because I had to step out for a few hours to complete the application and then um, go out and do something um, um, at, at a store outside. And I took my car, started driving. I felt like I was, I had no clue how to drive. I didn't know how to keep the steering straight. Um, I didn't know how to take a right turn. I, I didn't know where the curve was. My, my brain was so fried that I just, I, I felt like I was beyond drunk. Like you, you know the feeling of when you're drunk and you're not able to uh, determine what's going on in the road. This, this felt way worse because I actually had, uh, I, I didn't feel drunk. My brain was not confused, but none of my bearings were working. And that's when I realized um, what stress can do to you, even though Ramya and I were joking and, uh, and smiling, sitting inside the hospital. My, our bodies were just frying. You may have been sleeping while you were in there, but you weren't sleeping. You know, you were, you were closing your eyes and... and dozing off, but you weren't really deeply sleeping. You probably were exhausted, the stress. Um, but it's, it's also so scary to think, yeah, I'm going to go do something that I never need to think about. And I'm unable because I need to think about it. And my, and I'm unable to think about it right now. I'm just, I'm too spent. You got home or got to where you were going safely though. I take I did. I did. So I went to I went to Phil's Coffee. I grabbed uh, I got I, I grabbed tea. That's another interesting side story. So uh, this was the first day he got in the ICU. They were suctioning him, and every time he suctions, they 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 stick a tube down his throat and get uh, an induced cough and and vomit. While Raga was coughing outside, I was uh, and vomiting outside. I was throwing up inside the bathroom. And it turned out to be uh, the coffee that I drank the other day, uh, that, that afternoon, um, that uh, made my stomach upset. And I, through the night, um, I ended up throwing up for about four times. I, I don't know what happened to me, but for the next three, four days, my, my body was not okay. I thought I, was, I, I just got allergic to everything on earth. And I was continually throwing up. I, I drank half a bottle of Pepto-Bismol. I had so much yogurt uh, and everything to, to hold. To, that was the only thing I could tolerate at that point that I could eat. 
and I, I don't know what happened. I, I thought this was, I, I thought I got a, I got a, I got something else, uh, um, like a stomach bug or something like that. And it turned out to be just stress. The, the sheer stress of um, not sleeping through the night, the sheer stress of going through everything that was happening um, and eating uh, and, and poor eating. And on top of that, coffee was the, was the, was the trigger with everything. It uh, just threw me off. Uh, for a, for a few days, so that in addition to the stress of him being in the hospital, um, my body was just completely exhausted when I when I took that drive. It just goes to show we aren't we aren't the superheroes we think we are, and and we've got our own vulnerabilities, and we've talked in other times about self care, and and often that's in the context of mental health. This is actually, you know, acute physical degradation. You, you, were, you were starting to spiral down. So how, what about Ramya? How was she feeling? She was fortunately okay. Um, she was um, taking care of Raghav the whole time. I was, I was lying down there sick. Um, she was strong. Uh, she was fine. Um, that was very fortunate that she didn't, go down the same time I did, you know, after, um, this drive, uh, this drive, uh, outside and came after I came back to the hospital, she took a break. She, she went for a walk. She said she didn't feel qualified to drive, uh, which was very clever of her because I didn't even realize I was not qualified to drive until I started driving. She went for a walk and, uh, that, that made us feel a lot better. Um, so both of us got a lot of energy back after that an hour of break from, from everything that was going on. Um, and, and we slept better that night. And the next morning, things started to look a lot better. He was in uh, a steady increase in, in health, in energy, in his ability to cough. His oxygen saturations got better. Um, and so it was a couple of days after that, that we still had to stay in the hospital to make sure he was completely fine to be on room air. Um, and then we came back home. Um, and, and an interesting lesson that we learned was not to push Raghav too much because we, it was our doing that we de-escalated his support quickly in the ICU. We pushed to get him, to wean him off of the oxygen quickly in the floor to get him to, you know, room air so we can go home. Uh, we thought Raghav can recover out of these things faster than, than he actually could. What happens when you mess with the body? The body kicks you in the butt. Especially with a, a little one, because you don't know their body yet. And, and Raghav's a very complicated, complex situation. But with any kid, you don't know how do they respond to certain things, you know, a fever or a cold or, or upset stomach you know, how quickly do they respond? And you just don't know. And, and this was very serious. So it wasn't, you know, just, oh, I, I missed it a little. And my kid was miserable. It's like, no, like you said, it was traumatic and, and scary. I can't imagine how consuming it was. I mean, when you're there, it's just like everything else in the world disappears. Although you were working on a grant at the time, I think that knowing you enough, that was a way for you to, you know, fill that empty waiting time um and it, you needed to have your brain working there but coming back into the world 
after something like, like that, like how do we go back to normal? The reentry can really be a challenge. Um, and how did, how did you guys handle that? Not gracefully. Um, so last time after Raga was in the hospital last March, the last day he was in the hospital, Ramya had to fly out to the Bay Area to do a fundraiser show. And we raised about forty or $50,000 in that show. Um, this was when COVID happened. This was when Raga was in the hospital. A couple of days after that last year, um, we, uh, we, we closed our new home. Um, the renovation was done and we, were, we had to move in. Uh, that, uh, we have to move in all of a sudden because um, the state was closing down for COVID and no movers would come and move our house after a particular day. And this was just the last few days after he was in the hospital. Last year, we felt a sigh of relief. We were super happy about all the change that was happening. We were super excited. We were in a new home. Last time, it was not exhausting. In contrast, this time triggered a series of both mental and physical health problems in me and to some degree in Ramya too. We took a break after we came back home for a day. We went out somewhere. Um, I think we went out of San Francisco just for a day trip. And we, we, we did the usual things that we, we'd usually do to unplug. Um, and since then, every day, almost every day, we feel the need to you know, break loose from everything going on in the world um, and, and, and take, a, take a really long vacation to recover. But that doesn't happen. And we are back in the grind but our bodies and minds have not fully recovered. Um, I can tell you and everyone that, uh, that I'm probably clinically depressed at this point. If, if they graded my anxiety, that would also be clinically significant. Um, so um, Raghav's um, hospital visit was a U-turn um, in, in definitely my mental and physical health. Ramya has been pretending to be doing fine uh, just to support me, I guess, but I'm certain that she, her health is also not um, in the best possible state. And we don't have a solution to all of these problems. So we are slowly working through seeking the help of qualified uh, professionals uh, to help us get out of the state. But everything we have done so far to help ourselves hasn't worked. That last, that last statement, really, I'm, I'm sorry to hear. I was kind of, um, I think it's healthy that you, you're recognizing what's going on, you know, that you may have clinical depression, you may have clinical anxiety. Um, I think that's important. I think that it's, the sad part is, is you've always found ways to overcome things. Now you really, you say you like to ask for help. Now you need to ask for help. And I think that hopefully our listeners are a community that, that, that provides some help provide some therapy somehow, whether it's through, through prayer, through contributions, through direct support, because they know you and, and are close to you. I also hope that our professional, you know, the professional services you have available now can help you out because you, you can't fight this one on your own. I think so. And on, on this note, I, I just want to uh, emphasize here how crazy it feels that I, I cannot help myself. Um, since Raghav's diagnosis and since his birth, um, that's one of the things that I was 
able to do really well is recover out of really challenging situations unaffected uh, and almost instantly. And um, I, looking back, and in fact, I've been hearing previous podcast episodes because I really wanted to see what it was like when I was able to recover out of myself. The word that came back to me was passion. Uh, and, and I actually heard one of my friends say that too, that I was really passionate when I'm talking about this, these topics. I've lost a passion for everything. It's, 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 it's so weird to even describe um, how it feels like because passion was something that I had been, that a lot of people have described about me for the last five years. Even before Raga was born for the work that I was doing, people would describe me as, as someone that's very passionate about everything that I do. So it's really surprising that I've lost passion and interest in almost everything that I'm doing. Everything is a grind. It is all mechanical. Um, I'm still making progress on all the fronts. Uh, my inbox is still zero, but it doesn't give me the satisfaction that I need. And I'm not having the passion that I need to, to, to do my next thing. So I don't know what's going to help me get the passion back. Um, but it's really surprising how fundamental of a change it made. Yeah. So I've gone through periods of like of that in my life where, gee, the passion's gone. And I always, I panic. Like, what's wrong? What I've learned, and I, I've got twice as many years on as you do now, that it comes back. You, you can't force passion. It's, it, it defined, it's defined by something that just happens, right? It's not like you say, I'm going to be passionate, therefore I'm passionate. No, your, your passion will grow. I really, you know, not a professional in this, but I really think that rest you were talking about, that long vacation, that can we step back and just let it ride for a bit and come back? You know, I think that that's the kind of thing you need to just sort of, recuperate you know this was you said it was traumatic and trauma is is very damaging over the long haul and so you've just gotta you've got to re recover from it trauma is actually damaging in, in in a lot of different fronts i think i've lost quite a bit of weight in the last several months um despite um not not really feeling depressed or anxious right um what was even more surprising was through the hospital visits, Rami and I were, were joking a lot. We were, we were smiling, laughing. We were watching fun videos and we were, um, you know, we were just joking around. We didn't really have a serious long face sitting in a corner of the hospital room. We were talking about how similar the ICUs are between Seattle children's and Stanford children's and how they probably have the same vendors supplying to them. It, it was fun. Uh, there was there was just nothing we were, we were joking about the nurses we were joking with the nurses you know it actually looked fun while we were in the hospital until after the visit they look back and realize it's probably just a coping mechanism for the trauma and the trauma doesn't really go away despite all the jokes and all the fun probably reduced a little bit maybe but it was just a coping mechanism your coping mechanism covered it until you got home you know, it, it can cope to a certain point. And I think that I, I relate to that coping mechanism. You go to an emergency room and you can still see humor in things. Mm -hmm. And then they go, oh, this guy's not that bad. 
And, and I've learned, no, just, just suffer in your suffering for this, right? Because they can take care of you if they know what's going on. If you're joking with them, they may be ignoring real signs and signals that, that would tell them something's wrong here. So I was going to ask you, you know, how, how Raghav's handling just the disruption to his life. And I think I heard that he was angry. How is he recovering though after, and, and how's he, you know, with you guys, because he may notice differences in you that you're not going to be able to cover up. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying, how is he re responding to that? Yeah, after he was home, he recovered uh, just fine. A couple of days after that, his coughs, uh, cough subsided and his secretions vanished. And um, he's, he's doing just fine and stable now. Uh, but the very interesting development is that anybody that's in, a white, that's in a yellow coat, he would start crying right away. Because in the hospital, they wear this protective gear every time someone enters into, the, into his room. And that's like, that's yellow in color. It's like a, it's like a, a coat of some sorts that they put on, um, a gown or you could call it whatever you want, but it's a protective gear for the nurses and the doctors. So they were all yellow in color. Um, after the hospital visit, we, um, uh, we took him back to a, a regular, like a doctor visit. Um, and the doctor was wearing that, that gown and he was mad <laughs> because he thought this was one of those folks that were going to poke in his nose. So all those things, you know, him being cognizant, but then him also relating or associating a, a yellow coat with all that trauma that he went through, just boom, just to me, it's like, you know, Raghav's in there, Raghav's in there and thinking and, and, and growing and, and learning things right now, his body's not actually cooperating with it all but he's in there and growing so um and then you know i you know this is my question always is how is he doing today and i wanted to say i saw that facebook of him playing video games you know since he's been in the hospital so how is he doing today super happy stable he he napped uh, he had a really long um sleep he decided to sleep in this morning and uh, that's fun and so he's he's happy um we got him a new device called uh the neuro node uh which we have to talk about at another time but it's a really fun device that's allowing him to play uh games on an ipad um and he's starting to understand the cause and effect and you know if i can get him to do a click on an ipad it opens up the world for everything to be accessible to him because at that point all i need is is more uh, applications that are accessible through the through the click for him, so he can control. The, he, he can he can he can use words. He can communicate with us. He can play games. We can hook it up to control everything in the home, from lights and fans and everything. Um, you know, eventually he can even uh, if he has a power mobility chair, he can even control that using this device. This is a lot of possibilities uh, that opens up once you get the neuronal device um, working with him and once he understands how it works. So. We're excited about the possibility um, and what it can what it can do to him in the future, uh, but overall, he's stable and happy. Well, that's good, and I want to thank you, Sana, for opening up today and and talking about what's going on. 
um, it takes courage beyond belief. Um, and I think that um, you've shown courage beyond belief as long as I've known you. And it, it just, it's the kind of thing though, where you have to let the shields down and let others help you. So thank you so much for sharing this story. Absolutely. And it's, I, I share my story because I want others to know that, that there is, there are things beyond what they can feel and experience in their day-to-day lives. And I've certainly not known and understood that until, until everything with Raga was happening. So, and mental health problems are real. Uh, it's important to seek professional help if you, if you need, if you think you need. Um, uh, a lot of the times our minds can deceive us. So I, I really wanted to share my story so others, if they are in, in the need for it, can help themselves. Raising Rare is produced by Salem Oaks, empowering patients and caregivers to shape the future of medicine. CureGPX4.org is dedicated to finding a treatment and cure for SSMD. You can donate to CureGPX4 on the Raising Rare podcast page or at CureGPX4.org. You can continue to follow Raga's story next time on Raising Rare.